Last year I went in for my annual physical, and when I did, they took the blood, put me on the treadmill, did all those things that they do, and then I was supposed to go in and meet with Dr. Reinhardt. He had been called away to an emergency, and so they asked if I wanted to speak with the nurse practitioner, and I did so. When I went into the little room, she was standing there, had my chart, she's looking at it, and I'm standing there, and she's reading through it, and she said, well, on paper, you look like you're 18 years old. And I said, I'm, I'm standing right in front of you. How do I look in person? She looked up at me, and she looked back down and said, not so much. <laughs> Most of us have uh, physicals during the year. We go to the dentist, we go to the doctor, we go to the ophthalmologist, the uh, dermatologist, all of that, because we want to know how we are physically. We have been studying through 1 John, and the truth is 1 John is a spiritual checkup. It is that we can ask the question, how am I doing spiritually? So it is a spiritual test. And John said that if we have spiritual health, that we walk in light. That means then that I confess my sin and I love the brethren. John said, if I have spiritual health, that I walk in love. He went on to say that if I have spiritual health, I walk in wisdom because I abide in Him. Well, today as we continue our study in 1 John, he says that if I have spiritual health, I walk in truth. Now, there's a challenge to that because today truth is no longer objective, it is subjective. And that is the reason you sometimes hear someone say, well, it may be true for you, but it isn't for me. In other words, truth is subjective, not objective. So truth, then, can be true with some people, while it isn't necessarily for me. It can be truth in one circumstance, but not necessarily in another circumstance, because truth today is not objective. Well, let's see what John says about truth. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John begins in this chapter by telling us we are to test the spirits. 
There in verse number 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In other words, John is saying here, don't believe everything you hear and don't believe everything you see. It is not all true. Matthew Henry wrote, Regard not, trust not, follow not every pretender to the Spirit of God or every professor of vision or inspiration or revelation from God. Test the Spirit. Is it really from God or is it not? Why? Well, because, ladies and gentlemen, we have an enemy who attempts to deceive us to follow the evil one. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Satan's desire has always been to be God. That is, he is our enemy. His desire is that he might be God. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, the prophet wrote, But you said in your heart, and many Bible scholars believe that this is a reference to Satan, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will make myself like the Most High. Now, that is the desire of Satan, our enemy. He desires to be God, and his strategy is to pretend that he is God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. All right, as we look at our enemy, he is Satan who claims to be God, and he takes a lie and claims it to be the truth. Now, the Scripture tells us that we have an enemy who seeks to deceive us from the truth, and he has false prophets who proclaim his message. Paul continued in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. So, the Scripture tells us then, test the spirits. Everything you hear is not true. Everything you see is not true. So the Bible tells us that we are to test the spirits because we have an enemy, Satan, who desires to be God and pretends that he is God. Therefore, there are competing spirits who are trying to reach you. What is the Spirit of God then? Well, if there are different spirits trying to reach us, what is the Spirit of God? How do we know the Spirit of God? Look at verse number 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, how do we know that it is a spirit or a truth from God? The Bible says because that it confesses that Jesus is the Christ. God had promised that He was going to send a Messiah. He did that after man's sin. He promised that He would send a Messiah who would save man from his sin... And the Spirit of God says that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. So, this is an old promise that God made after man sinned. I will send a Messiah. The Spirit of God says that that promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In fact, 
Vine says the name Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation, the Savior. Davis Dictionary of the Bible says that the name Christ means the anointed one, a title corresponding to the Hebrew name Messiah. So, put those two together, Jesus Christ, and it means the prophesied one who came to save. Jesus Christ, the prophesied one who came to save. That is exactly what Jesus said of himself when he stood before Caiaphas. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Okay? How do I know the Spirit of God? The Bible says that the Spirit of God, the truth of God, confesses that Jesus is the prophesied Savior who came to save mankind. Well, what about the other Spirit? If that is the Spirit of God that confesses Jesus to be the prophesied one who came to save, what about the Spirit of Antichrist, verse number 3? And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now, according to what John is saying, when there is a doctrine that rejects Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy, that rejects Jesus as the Christ, the Bible says that that is heresy. That comes from the Antichrist. That is heresy. And there were several heresies in the New Testament church at the time of John's writing. And he is dealing with some of those heresies. For instance, there was docetism. Snipe says, docetism teaches that Jesus' physical body was only an aberration or an illusion. Docetism taught that a spiritual Christ entered into the human Jesus at his baptism and left when he was crucified. So then they rejected the idea that Jesus was virgin born, that he lived, that he was God in the flesh. Another heresy was Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed that everything physical was evil and everything spiritual was good. That was their basic belief. Everything evil, everything physical is evil, everything spiritual is good. Now, there were two groups or two understandings of Gnosticism. I guess they were like Baptists. They couldn't all get together, but they had two groups of Gnostics. One group said that everything physical is evil, therefore we are to shun the physical. We are to have nothing to do with the physical because it is evil. There was the other group that said everything spiritual is good, everything physical is evil, Therefore, it makes no difference what one does in the physical. Do whatever you want to do. Indulge the physical. Do whatever you want to do because it doesn't matter anyway concerning the spirit. So there was Gnosticism. Then there was the heresy of the Nicolaitans that John mentions in his book of Revelation. Snipe said they believed in finding knowledge through complete unrestraint. 
Sexual immorality was their primary focus. They claimed that sins committed in the body did not affect the spirit. All right? So then we have the Spirit of God that says Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. We have the Spirit of Antichrist that denies Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy. So John says to us, we thus are to test the spirits. Which one is true and which one is not. We are to test the spirits. Okay, how do, how do we test the spirits? You see, ladies and gentlemen, there are many doctrines that you hear. There are many positions that you hear today. Which is true, which is false. John says you must test the spirits to determine that. Well, how do we do that? Well, first there is the Bible test. We ask the question, does this doctrine, does this teaching agree with the Scripture? Because if it does, then it's of God. If it does not, then it is not of God. So there is the Bible test. That's, that's what the Bereans did. Paul, speaking of the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, said, Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. You recall that those in Thessalonica, when Paul came with the gospel, just ran him off. Well, he went from Thessalonica to Berea, and he says the people in Berea were more honorable. For they received the word with great eagerness. Now listen to this. Examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So Paul then came with the gospel. He came to the Bereans preaching the gospel of Christ and he commends them because Paul says they were examining the scripture to see if he is telling them the truth. So there is the Bible test. We ask the question, does this doctrine, does this teaching, does this position, is it parallel with the Scripture? Because if it is, it is of God. If it is not, then it is not. Then there's the Jesus test. What does the teaching believe about Jesus? Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God... And one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, when you hear a teaching, if it sounds a little strange to you, it's your responsibility to test the teaching, test the Spirit. What does it say about Jesus? There's the Bible test. Does it line up with Scripture? There's the Jesus test. What does it say about Jesus? There is the love test in verse number 8. He said, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So this doctrine, this teaching, is it a doctrine, a teaching of love? Because if it is not, then it is not of the Lord. And then there's the fruit test, because what one produces testifies as to what one is. You see, what you produce in life is a testimony as to what you are. And the scripture says in Matthew 7, 15 and 16, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. There is the fruit test. What is this producing? What is this teaching producing? So John begins by saying, there are heresies in the world. There are various teachings in the world. He said, you are to test the Spirit. It's your responsibility. You are to test the Spirit. Is it from God or is it not? 
He says, those who are from God overcome. In verse number 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, here John gives us three reasons for Christian victory. If one is a follower of Jesus Christ, then we should be walking in victory. And he gives us three reasons why. First of all, he said, because you are what? From God. You are from God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a divine birth. You have been born into the family of God. You know, people think that that salvation comes through osmosis. If I just show up in church, it must mean that I'm a Christian. No, absolutely not. It comes from a new birth. It is a spiritual birth that comes as a result of believing in Jesus Christ. The Scripture says in John 1, 12 and 13, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become, what? Children of God. Even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, one reason that we are victorious as Christians is because we have a divine birth. We were born into the family of God. Therefore, we have a divine nature. John said in chapter 10, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A divine nature is reflected in divine actions. Now, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, folks, you can't hide that. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior then there is a difference in your life. You have been born from above, you have been born of God, and you have a divine nature. So he said, we're from God. Those who are from God, what? Overcome. From God, overcome. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome, same word, I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world. He overcame death. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day. I am sure that on the day Jesus was crucified that all the demons in hell were rejoicing. They thought, you know, we've finally taken Him out. But Jesus was victorious. The Scripture says on the third day He rose from the grave. So he overcame death. He he overcame the world. And the Bible tells us here that because we are followers of Christ, we too are victorious. If we are followers of Christ, we too are victorious. What does that mean? Well, I thought of several things that it means. You know, as a believer... Someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that I am victorious. What does that mean? Well, it means in part that I am not condemned. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, There is therefore now, today, right now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? For those who know Jesus Christ, those in Jesus Christ, they are not under condemnation. Now, you might say, well, you know, I don't feel like it. I feel condemned. Well, that's your feelings. That's not Scripture. Test the Spirit. What does it mean that I am victorious? It means that I am not condemned. It means that I am freed from sin. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. 
All right, so what does that mean? It means then that I do not have to live a life that is dominated by sin if I know the Lord. If I, if I know the Lord, I don't have to live a life dominated by sin and under defeat. I have been freed. The Bible says that if I know the Lord, that I overcome the world. In Romans eight thirty seven. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. So, he says that those who are from God are victorious. We are victorious because we are from God. Thus we overcome And thirdly, because of the Holy Spirit. In verse number 4c, he says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. When a person becomes a believer, when a person is born again, that person receives the Holy Spirit. The Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So, the Scripture then says that when a person is born again into the family of God, that person receives the Holy Spirit. Then the Bible says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. So, when I'm saved, I possess the Holy Spirit. When I'm filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit possesses me. So, at salvation, I possess the Holy Spirit. When I'm filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit possesses me. And the result is that we are overcomers. And John describes that as being joyful and thankful. I told in the staff meeting this morning, I said I I was coming to the church this morning as I was driving in. I was quoting a verse of Scripture. I said, this is the day the Lord hath made. Lord, help me to rejoice and be glad in it. And then I was convicted by the Spirit that that's not what the verse says. This is the day the Lord hath made what? I will rejoice and be glad in it. See, that's a decision we make. You decide if you're going to rejoice and be glad in it. This is the the Lord made the day. Now, what are you going to do with it? He made it. You get to choose. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So, when I'm saved, I receive the Holy Spirit. As I'm filled with the Spirit... The Holy Spirit is in control of me, and therefore I live a life of joy and gratitude. Now then, John draws a contrast between believers and non-believers. In verse number 5, he says, They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. They. Hebert wrote, They draw the substance of their teaching from the godless world. Now, here he is speaking about those who are not followers of Christ, not believers of Christ. He refers to them as they, and he says that these are in heresy. These are in heresy. Why? Because they believe a doctrine of ignorance. Their view is a doctrine of ignorance. The Scripture says in 1 Peter 2.15, For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Good verse of Scripture for us. 1 Peter 2.15 By doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. People today take some positions that I think, this is absolute nonsense. How did they come up with that? Where did that come from? I mean, it is contrary to history. 
It is contrary to humankind. Where did they come up with this? And the Bible says that that is ignorance. And what are we to do by doing right? We are to do right. So, he says, these are in heresy. Why? Because their worldview is rooted in ignorance. They listen to the voice of demons. 1 Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They twist the Scripture to make the Scripture say things it does not say. 2 Peter 2.16 Some things are hard to understand which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their, scripture to their own destruction. Let me tell you something. A move from truth to error is a progressive move. It happens a little bit at a time. What happens to us is that we are enticed by some idea. There's some idea that comes, maybe it's promoted to us or something, but there is some idea that entices us. Then we are deceived by false prophets. Romans 3.13 says, Their throat is an open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. So how does it work that we move from truth to error? He said, first of all, we are enticed by an idea. We are deceived by those who say that it is right. Then we become blinded to the truth. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And then we begin to rationalize that false position. In Jude verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And then we become addicted to the position. John wrote, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. But what I want you to notice there is how that this happens progressively. We are enticed by some idea, we are deceived, we are blinded, and so forth, but it happens a little bit. And then he says that they are destroyed. So that's they. And then he contrasts they with we in verse number 6. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The believer listens to the word of God. Hebrew wrote, the world listens to those who speak its own language. Is that not true? The world listens to those who speak its own language. We listen and we know the voice of the shepherd. Now let me conclude. Today there are many who have been deceived and hold false beliefs. Let me mention just briefly three to you. One false belief that is very prominent today is that man is basically good. And I would imagine that some of you hold that view. That man is basically good. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that man is basically sinful. Another one. There are those today who believe that everyone goes to heaven. We all go. 
because a good God would not send anyone to hell. So we all go to heaven. The Bible says you must be born again. And the only way a person can go to heaven is by being born again. Another one. The church is unimportant. In fact, I read this morning that George Barna had just done a study and said that 50% of Americans believe that church attendance is not important. Well, Jesus died for the church. And according to the Word, it says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, let me say to you that it's so important that you test the spirits to distinguish between truth and error. There's the Bible test. Does it line up with Scripture? There's the Jesus test. What does it say about Jesus? There's the love test. Is it loving? You have the responsibility of testing the spirits. Our gracious Father, I come today and ask, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. That we will hear the voice of truth and we'll respond to the voice of truth. I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing. and We extend an invitation. We have been praying for 50 people to make decisions today. There are some of you who are here. You've been praying about it, thinking about it. Well, one of these days I'm going to do it. This is the day. This is the day. To commit your life to Jesus Christ, to join the church, whatever it is. But for a long time, some of you have been struggling with it. Today's the day. We've been praying. We're looking forward to you making that commitment. I want you to stand with me, please. The choir's going to sing as they sing. Decide right now. I'm going to make that decision right now. You come. I greet you should do. You come.